today. Hey everyone, Matt Bailey here with an awesome, awesome, awesome episode of Talk for Two. Now the subject matter isn't awesome. The subject matter is actually kind of sobering, but very important. But our guest is awesome. I mean, what could get more awesome than ba-da-bum-bum-ba-da-boo? Could you think of a better way to open the show? And no, I know I can't sing. Our guest today, I've been a fan of him since I was like two. Our guest is Greg Page, original lead singer and yellow skivvy wearer for children's rock group The Wiggles. He joins us to talk about his harrowing brush with death, surviving sudden cardiac arrest. Page collapsed as he was leaving the stage following a charity reunion performance with members of the original Wiggles in the band's native Australia. This was back in January. Thankfully, some quick thinking, a nurse in the audience, and an AED automated external defibrillator saved Greg's life. It was the skill of Grace Jones, the nurse, who knew how to use the device that ultimately staved off a grave outcome. Now the event, as it would for anybody, changed Paige's life. He's now an advocate for awareness about sudden cardiac arrest. Very little known fact that cardiac arrest is different from a heart attack. Greg has made it his mission to use his platform to spread that awareness and to help AEDs become as common as fire extinguishers in buildings and households around the world. Speaking with me via Skype from Australia, Paige also tells me he's working on new children's material geared towards educating the toddler set on what to do in the event of an emergency. Now, coming from a family of first responders, I am beyond excited about this. I absolutely commend it. This is really, really cool. Because beyond stop, drop, and roll, and call 911 if you're in danger, in danger running the gamut, there is not much in the way of actual situational education for children when it comes to emergencies that require first responders to respond and act. And of course, no chat with Greg Page is complete without some cold spaghetti, some mashed banana, and a hot potato or two. And it is that uh, little hint that I'm giving you about how we end this interview that is the reason we will not come back. Because whenever what I'm hinting at happens in an interview, there's just no following it up. So I will just say right now, make sure to follow Greg Page on Twitter and on Instagram. He's not posting on Instagram yet, but he assures me he will get to it. And make sure to follow this show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Talk for Two or at Talk for Two Pod in the case of Instagram. And of course, search for us on iTunes, Stickter, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. So now that that promo is out of the way, which I never like to do at the top, but like I said, the, the ending is just too good to even try to follow up. Here now to tell us how he survived wiggling his heart out, our interview with Greg Page. 
Greg Page, and I don't think I've ever meant this more sincerely, how are you? How are you feeling? How are you doing? How's your recovery coming along, sir? Uh, look, I'm going really well, thanks, Matt. Um, thanks for asking us. Look, as a lot of people know, I, I suffered a sudden cardiac arrest earlier this year, and yeah, it really took me by surprise. I had no idea that I was a candidate for having a cardiac arrest, let alone a heart attack. And that's maybe something we can just talk about a little bit later, just the difference between a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. Mm -hmm. But look, my recovery has been incredible. Um, you know, I'm doing incredibly well, mostly because of the fact that the people around me at the time that I had the cardiac arrest knew how to do CPR and they kept me alive and they kept blood flowing around my body um, so that I was able to be in a position to recover fully. So I'm very, very grateful. Yeah, that is fabulous. I mean, it was a perfect storm. They had the AED. You had a nurse there. I'm curious if this this cardiac arrest was a one-off event, or, or was it a, a a signifier of underlying an underlying heart condition for you that you maybe didn't know you had? Yeah, well, look, I didn't know I had uh, like a buildup of plaque in my arteries. Mm -hmm. So. So what happened, um, and I guess this is where we can talk about, you know, heart attack and cardiac arrest. Please. So, uh, you know, I, I had been a fairly fit and active person, I thought, prior to that show where I collapsed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'd been exercising every day, walking seven and a half kilometres, which is about five miles, I guess. Um, walk about five miles every day. I play tennis once a week, cricket once a week, go to the gym. So I thought I was in pretty good shape. Um, and of course, leading up to that show, I knew the show would be quite physical. So I was working fairly hard on my, my fitness as well to try to make sure that I was fit. And I didn't have any of the um, typical symptoms. Or, sorry, I should say this. I didn't recognize any of the typical symptoms that people say, you know, to be aware of that would alert you to the fact that you might have heart disease. So um, doing the show, I, I don't remember much about the show at all so I don't know if I had any symptoms during the show or not um, but as it turns out because I did have some calcification in my heart my coronary arteries um, a bit of plaque broke off during the show at some point and then blocked my uh, left anterior descending artery my LAD artery 100% so it blocked it totally and then that led to an immediate cardiac arrest. So with a heart attack, you can actually have a heart attack for hours and hours and be fine. You'll experience chest pain. You'll have shortness of breath. You know, you'll be quite uncomfortable and you may not go into cardiac arrest, but sometimes you do. And when you go into cardiac arrest and it's that, that quickly, that's sudden cardiac arrest. And it comes on you just without any warning, without any notice. And it's a life and death situation, unfortunately. And the very, very tragic thing is that only 10% of people survive a sudden cardiac, sudden cardiac arrest out of hospital. So I'm extremely fortunate that, you know, there were people around me on the Wiggles crew and there were people in the audience who were medical professionals. They were able to come up onto the stage and do CPR on me for about 25 minutes or so. And then, you know, the AED was placed on my chest and I was able to be shocked back into a normal rhythm and yeah it just was very very fortunate that it turned out the way it did i love that you are out there now talking about this taking advantage 
of this second chance at life. It seems like an obvious question, but how has this cardiac arrest, this experience, changed your life in terms of what you focus on now, now that you are out there speaking about it? How has it shifted your goals in your career and in the message you want to you want to bring people? Yeah, it, there's been a lot of focus for me on the messaging around cardiac arrest and heart health in, in general, I guess. Mm-hmm. It, it is taking up a lot of my time and I'm happy to do that because I guess before my event, I was totally oblivious to a lot of the information and the stats about how prevalent it is in our society. And I, I don't mean just in Australia, I mean all over the world. It's a, It is pro- probably the world's biggest killer. Every single year, there's around you know, 8 million people that die from sudden cardiac arrest. And there's stuff that we can do about it to help increase people's chances of survival so that we have more people like me out there, not the ones, not people who are going and mourning the loss of family members because they didn't survive a cardiac arrest. I just, I still can't believe it's so low, the survival rates, given that we know, you know, how to respond to a sudden cardiac arrest in terms of providing CPR. We know that AEDs make a difference. So we need to have more people educated on CPR in schools. I think it needs to be taught a lot more in schools and we need to have those sort of reality checks on what it is, you know, why. I mean, it's great to learn general first aid. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't learn general first aid, you know, how to deal with a cut, how Mm -hmm. to deal with a fracture, how to deal with all those things. But, man, we're talking about life and death with cardiac arrest. And if somebody doesn't feel confident enough to step up and have a go at CPR on someone, that person's chances of surviving are so far diminished. And I just can't help but feel that that's part of the reason why there are so many deaths still from cardiac arrest, let alone the fact that then we need more AEDs in the community and more people being confident to use them. And I know in Australia, you don't have to be qualified to use an AED. I'm not sure whether that's the case in the US or not, but certainly in Australia, you don't need to be trained, you don't need to be qualified or have a certificate. You just need to get it off the shelf or off the rack, wherever it might be, take it to the patient, follow the directions that it gives you because it's very self-explanatory. And I think it's this kind of information that will empower people to actually have a go at saving somebody's life because it, it is... I was just going to say it's easy. I mean, it's not easy. And, um, you know, I don't want to dismiss it because those four people that had a hands-on role in saving my life, I know it was not easy for them. It's, it must be hard. It must be, a, 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 it must be going through your mind. It would be going through my mind, I'm sure, if I was in their situation. It would be going through my mind that there's a lot of responsibility there. You would feel that. But... I'd rather I'd rather go through that and have a go at saving somebody's life than have stood back and gone, uh, you know what? I'm not sure if I know what to do. I'd hate that to happen. So I'm I'm trying to get as many people to understand as possible that it's far better to have a go than to not. And I'm sure that if we adopt that approach, you know, through knowledge, education, and confidence, a lot more lives will be saved. You have had quite the medical history. I mean, obviously your story is also tied to orthostatic intolerance and you had to leave the band for quite quite a while to get that diagnosis. 
What keeps you going after all of these medical conditions that you've had? What keeps you out there, keeps you performing? You know, a lesser person, I think, would say, you know what? My medical issues have, have racked up. I'm just going to sit it out, retire, and, and that be that. What keeps you active and healthy and, and involved and living that healthy lifestyle? Um, I think it's just my approach to life in general, really. I'm a very positive person. I tend to put my focus on the things in my life that are positive. That doesn't mean that I have times in my life where I'm, you know, down or upset about things because I think everybody does. But I think the difference is how much attention you place on those feelings of lack in your life or negativity. If you choose to put more attention on the positive things, Mm -hmm. then you tend to become more of a positive person. And there's a, a great, um, I'll call him a thought leader because I, I don't actually know what his title is. I think he's a psychologist, actually. His name is Dr. Joe Dispenza, D-I-S-P-E-N-Z-A. And he's got a couple of really great quotes that I like to, to use. But one in particular is he, he says that your personality becomes your personal reality. So if you're the type of person that chooses to focus on the negative things happening in your life, so let's say, you know, back when I was diagnosed with orthostatic intolerance, I've just left the wiggles. I was uh, a bit depressed around that point in time. I had quite a lot going on personally. And then that on top of everything, that was a tough time. Mm -hmm. However, I knew that I couldn't focus on that because the more you stay focused on that, the more your life is going to become that. So I shifted my focus and I shifted it to things that I wanted to bring into my life, the very positive things. And I think I wrote about this in my book that I wrote uh, in 2011 or 2020. It must have been 2011. Which I love, by the you know, way. I created it. Mm -hmm. Sorry. I love your, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I actually tracked your book down. It's not available here uh, in the States, but I read it and it's phenomenal. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad you liked it, Matt. Yeah, well, I, I think I wrote about the... Um, focus chart that I drew up for myself in, in the book. Um, you know, I basically wrote down on a sheet of paper the, the various things that I wanted to have success with in my life, whether it was relationships, love, my personal feelings about myself, whatever mm -hmm. it might be. And every day I, I would look at that and I would think about those different things. And it's the way you frame your reference about the things that you want in your life that really will help determine how you get those things. And a great example is people that want to lose weight. Um, you know, that's quite often a challenge for a lot of people. And if you go into that process of wanting to lose weight by saying, I want to lose weight, you're always focused on the fact that you have more weight than you want mm -hmm. and you have to lose that weight. And it's not a good thing to have that weight it's hard to lose weight. You're kind of framing it in that negative context. Whereas if you look at yourself and say, I want to be healthy. I want to be fit. I want to be active. If you're always framing things in that positive way, you'll focus on the things that you need to do to be that person rather than looking at the things that are the barriers to you being the person that you want to be. And I think it's that glass half full, half empty kind of approach that makes the difference uh, for people. And I think, um, and I'm not saying again, I'm not saying this is easy to do. I'm very fortunate that I've had an amazing life. And I think I've been born with that kind of positive, you know, tendency to look at life in general 
in a positive way. So it's easy for me to shift my focus on the positive things and the positive way of looking at things so that I try and attract as many positive things into my life as I can. I love that way of thinking about it because one thing you do touch on your phenomenal book, which I would love to see republished over here in the States in the wake of your your incident now that everybody knows about, um, is is you talk about how once you got the correct diagnosis, how shocked you were that it was so easily managed. And, and forgive me if this is too personal a question, but was there ever a time where you regretted leaving the Wiggles because you didn't know? You left because you thought this was it. This is this 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 OI is gonna is going to define my life. And finding out that that it doesn't and that it's easily managed. Were there any regrets about leaving the band and going off and doing what you had to do, or did you take it in stride? Oh, look, as I said earlier, it was a very tough time for a lot of reasons. And, I mean, yeah. leaving the Wiggles was not an easy thing to do because it had been such a part of my life, um, you know, for, for more than half of my life at that stage. I mean, I was still, I think, I was 34 when I left the group and I started in the group when I was 19. So I'd, I'd been there for sort of half my life. And that that was hard. Um, and I, I think to as you find out about things, so you know, as I learned about OI and why it was affecting me as much as it was, a lot of it was to do with the fact that my body didn't retain fluid. So no matter how much I was replenishing my um, fluids after a wiggle show, I was never getting it back to the level where it needed to be to keep me healthy. So over time, that obviously impacted in a big way. Um, but I think to go back full time and, and do it again you know, indefinitely, would have, you know, it would have led to the same kind of thing happening. So it would not have been helpful to, to make that decision to return to the group full time. You know, obviously, I went back in 2012 because the guys asked me to return to help them out. But I knew it was for a limited period back then. I knew it was only, well, initially it was supposed to be for seven months or eight months um so i knew there was a time limit on that and i knew that i'd be able to manage the oi for that period of time i love that's so wonderful you were able to retire with murray and jeff and and anthony kept it going now my only real wiggles question that i have for you because a lot of it's out there in the domain in the public you can read about the wiggles but nobody's ever asked you or talked to you about the skivvies in so much as they were continually redesigned, some with stripes on them, now they wear them with the Vs, with the three Vs on the on the necks. And I'm just wondering if you know anything about the evolution of that design, if you were involved, and if there's any significance, like the show where you had the where you had the cardiac arrest, you all were wearing an older version of the skivvies. You weren't wearing the the ones you retired on, if I remember correctly. You were wearing ones with just the stripes down the arms. Is there a significance to the iterations of those skivvies? Not that I know of. <laughs> no. Um, no, look, I, I can't even remember what skivvies we had back in 20, um, 2006 when I left. I think they were pretty plain. Yeah. Um, look, I think the main thing that we had to ensure was that we just were wearing the coloured shirts or skivvies that we mm -hmm. that we were assigned to like i was yellow anthony was blue murray is red jeff was purple um that was the main determining factor that we didn't deviate too much from that i think it was after 
I think it was after 2006, the guys probably started to play around with the design a little bit. I, I'm not too sure. But, yeah, I know when I went back in 2012, there was a new design done then. Uh, then I think the new Wiggles have got another design since then. As you say, I think it's got the three Vs on it, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But, look, no. I mean, certainly for the bushfire show in January, it was really just a matter of what skivvies the, there were from, you know, probably previous times that seemed to fit us. <laughs> uh, because I haven't worn the skivvy for a number of years. But, um, yeah, there, there was no real significance as far as I'm aware. It's Hey, you ask the question, you never know what you're going to get. It's the thing. I'm a very theatrical person, so I notice stuff like that. And yeah. that, that's just what my where my brain went to. I want to talk about what you've been up to in children's entertainment since leaving the Wiggles. I know you have a lot of things in development. You have a YouTube channel, uh, a YouTube channel for kids and a YouTube channel where you post your own content for the older fans. What have you been up to since the heart attack, since the cardiac arrest, excuse me, uh, in terms of your creative side of what you've been doing? Yeah, well, look, I've, I guess for the past few years, I've been working away on a number of projects. There's a number of uh, children's educational concepts that I have mm -hmm. that I'm looking to sort of uh, produce in terms of TV shows. So I've been working on those for the past, I don't know, three or four years. And right now, like since my cardiac arrest, um, I've just had two of those sort of go to the next stage of development where we've got people interested in seeing more of those properties. So I've been working pretty hard on those as well. So I've been very, very busy since January. Mm -hmm. um, and, and luckily I am recovering very, very well. Uh, I'm able to invest a lot of time in the different things that I need to invest it in. So yeah, I've got a, a few things. So I guess stay, stay tuned for more information about what I'm working on. Uh, you know, I'm working on a number of creative projects at the moment, and some of them will involve educating children about um, CPR and first aid. And there, there's going to be something else I'm working on as well about cardiac arrest for, for adults. So I've got a lot of great ideas about how I can help inform the public and engage them in different things that will educate them about CPR and AEDs, but also hopefully about heart health emotional health and well-being that will hopefully prevent people from going down that path of, you know, being in a situation where they have a cardiac arrest and need CPR, because that's ultimately what we want. We, you know, in the short term, when people have a cardiac arrest, we're going to have to rely on CPR and AEDs to save their lives. But hopefully in 10 years time, if we can educate people about health enough, and, uh, you know, when I say health, there's been some research done, and I tend to believe that this could be true, that a lot of people will have heart problems because of stress and emotional health that's unresolved. And I think that there's ways that we might be able to educate people about that that will help reduce or eliminate a lot of the cardiac arrests that are taking place. So that if we can get to a, a place in 10 years' time where we've reduced the, or sorry, where we've increased the survival rate from cardiac arrest because of CPR and AEDs, but we've also reduced the number of people going into cardiac arrest because we've got better health outcomes for people, then we'll be in an amazing place because we've reduced the cause of death from you know being less cardiac arrest taking place, but we've also increased survival rates from it as well because of the you know the other end of the the spectrum being addressed too. So yeah, I've got some really positive vibes about what can be done here to really make a difference 
in people's lives and the survivability of heart conditions. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting you say that you're working on stuff for this geared to children because we think, you know, stop, drop and roll for a fire, call 911 in an emergency. We think more broad, broadly, but you're narrowing it down to in this instance, if somebody is suffering a cardiac event, you have an idea of way to, a way to communicate about that to children. Can you give me any insight into how you're going to approach that? What can kids do if they're at home with their mom and, and their mom suddenly collapses in an apparent uh, arrest? Yeah, look, I think it, it is hard with kids because, um, you know, I am working on this at the moment. And one of the key things that I'm conscious of is educating children about it, but without scaring them at the same time. And I think with very young children, it's important to um, impart enough information so that they're able to recognise that it is a problem, um, that it needs to be addressed if a parent or somebody collapses in front of them and they're not responding or breathing. And I think that's all we need to say. You know, we don't need to go down further down the path and say, yeah, and they're in danger of dying. You know, we don't need to go to that. We just need mm -hmm. to say, okay, if your parent, if somebody there falls over, and you would use words like that, if they fall over, then, you know, go and see if they're okay. You know, can you hear them breathing? If you put your ear up to their mouth, can you clap your hands and do they answer? There's little messages that we can give. And then if the, I think the next big message is to dial that emergency service number. So it's 911 in the US, obviously, mm -hmm. here in Australia, it's triple zero. So... I have written a song about that at the moment as well. Yes. I'll triple zero be a triple zero hero. I've got to write it for the US yet, <laughs> but you know, I've got it for the Australian number. And I think it's how we specifically break down the messages for children in a way that doesn't intimidate them, but in a way that empowers them to know how to do the right thing in that kind of situation. Now, obviously, a three or four-year-old is not going to be able to um, competently necessarily perform CPR yeah some children may be able to but generally child development would say that a three or four year old would not be strong enough to do it successfully it doesn't mean they can't have a go so I think just generally um, educating children from a young age about CPR and what it is not necessarily how to do it but when you can plant that seed at the age of three or four you know um, psychologists say that from the age of from birth to seven years that's when you're in this theta state of programming it's like a hypnotic state where you just absorb everything around you mm -hmm. so if cpr is a term that's used for, for children it's something that is not foreign to them as they're growing up it becomes a part of their psyche and becomes second nature so that when they do get to let's say well, elementary school or what we would call here in australia primary school when they get to that age where they can do CPR, they, they know the term, they've seen it you know, on a video in a non-confronting way, and then they're at that age where they can actually have a go and possibly save somebody's life. And I think that, you know, still, you've got to watch the messaging around that. Um, but I think it's quite important for them to be aware of what CPR is at very least, so that when they do get to the age when they can, can do it, they're not afraid of having a go. Absolutely. Well, unfortunately, the one thing that happened when uh, when you had your collapse and you collapsed and you had your cardiac arrest was you didn't get to take part in the encore with Hot Potato. Did, by the way, did you see them? 
Did you see them all wear yellow and do hot potato the second night? Did you see that video? I have seen that. Thanks, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite, <laughs> quite touching. Yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to close this out because I know we got to go in a few minutes here with a little bit, if you would indulge me, just a verse or two of hot potato just to close us out. All right. <laughs> we'll see if I can do it. <laughs> hot potato, hot potato. Hot potato, hot potato, hot potato, hot potato, 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 potato. There you go. I've still got it. Hopefully, <laughs> absolutely, you do. Greg Page, listen, I got it. I'll let me end on a note from me. When I was very little, I have what they call tetralogy of flow, which is a heart condition. I had to lay very still, lay very, very still, and and all I could do was watch the Wiggles. Uh, and other tapes, but I watched the Wiggles. So it's a full circle moment to actually be here talking about cardiac health and the importance and keeping everybody aware with somebody I watched while I was going through all of that. So it is an honor to have you, Mr. Greg Page. I wish you nothing but good health, good fortune, and good luck with all of these endeavors. Thank you so much for being with me. Thanks, Matt, and I wish you all the best too, my friend. I hope you're doing well. I am. Thank you very much. Thanks, Matt. You can hear more show business interviews with the stars at talkfor2.com.